We have God's requirement that the church habitually meet together, and then we've got a government mandate that says you can't meet right now. And so the question is, okay, now we've got that conflict, uh, do we engage in civil disobedience, and what are uh, the ethical overtones of that? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, Managing Attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Hey, Josh, welcome back. We're recording now uh, amidst the coronavirus here on Zoom, right? Social distancing. We live like four houses down from each other, and we're we're on Zoom recording a podcast. Go figure. We are, yeah. So typically, this is set up for long distance recording. You know, I've I've done podcasts throughout the years. You have recorded with several other uh, leaders in the uh, in the church world, and and uh, Zoom is typically what we do for those types of recordings. But uh, yeah, we're getting to experience it, even though we live you know two minute walk from each other. So that's right. Hey. Go with the times, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, I'm so excited to kind of jump into this topic today because obviously it is around COVID-19, everything that, you know, church leaders need to know about what's going on in the world today in the pandemic and and how that applies to the law. So I'm I'm excited to jump into that. Um, So Josh, kind of kick us off here. So tell us, you know, basically what church leaders need to know uh, kind of right out of the gate with this, this pandemic that we're going through. Yeah, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of church leaders right now, a lot of Christians in general, is just frustration uh, from some folks about how the government is shutting down gatherings of people larger than 10 people. It started with 100, and, you know, when you look at the number of churches, 75% of churches in the nation uh, run less than 100 people. So that particular, you know, ban didn't really hurt churches, but when they dropped it down to 10, now you've got just the vast majority of churches, if not all churches, who are really struggling to be able to meet together. Uh, And so there's some frustration, just some general uh, frustration with the fact that the government has told churches not to meet. Uh, And there are some exceptions to that. There are some governors who have exempted churches and so forth. And there are a lot of churches who were voluntarily saying, we're not going to meet amidst this pandemic. Uh, But there are just a lot of, of other people who are really frustrated right now that the government has all but told churches, you cannot Meet and so that raises some First Amendment questions. Can the government actually do that? Uh, but it also, even if the government can't do it, or even if the government won't shut down a church uh, to prevent the spread of this this disease, the the question becomes: Should a church meet? Should we really be doing that? And so, uh, those are some of the questions I've been getting, and those are some we're going to try to answer on the podcast today. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's definitely a concern right now, and and. The bad thing is if you're paying attention to the news or social media, I mean, everybody has an opinion, right? And, and so they, we want to make sure that we steer kind of in the right direction with what what is God saying about this, but also what is the law saying about this? So yeah. um, let's kind of jump into our first topic. So uh, churches are better elsewhere right now. What does that yeah. mean exactly? Well, um, that, that may get me hung, uh, but <laughs> at the end of the day right now, churches don't need to be meeting. But let's start with that, that fundamental question that we talked about. Can the government shut down a church right now? And my answer, and there will be people who disagree and reasonable minds can do that. My answer is yes. Okay. The, the government can shut down uh, a church under a situation like we have right now. Here's what the, the Constitution says. It says, Congress shall pass no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion, okay? And if you look at just that clause, that's the free exercise clause of the First Amendment, if you look at just that, it sounds like, you know what? The government cannot do that. They cannot shut down a church. 
Here's how the Supreme Court has interpreted it, though. We've got to remember that it's the Constitution plus how the Supreme Court has interpreted and applied the Constitution to specific cases. And so here's what the Supreme Court says. It says that the free exercise clause is not violated if a law is generally applicable. Okay, so it's got to be applicable to more than just religious people. And in this case, it is, right? This applies to businesses. It applies to restaurants. They've shut down uh, sporting events and things like that. So this is a general, generally applicable law. Uh, and any infringement on the right to practice religion has to be narrowly tailored to meet a compelling state interest. Okay. Now, is there a compelling state interest right now? There's no argument that we've got a compelling state interest. Okay. Uh, at the time of planning this podcast, the estimates were anywhere between a hundred and 240,000 people would die from the coronavirus in the United States alone. And you would have to take every armed conflict the United States has been in after World War II and add all of those combat-related deaths together to get to that number of people. That's crazy, okay? That is a crazy number of people. So there's a definitely a compelling state interest. Now, I actually read an article this morning that said that those numbers have been revised down to somewhere between 40 and 130,000 with 60,000 kind of being the, the, the target where people think we're gonna end up. But still, 60,000 people dead. I mean, in the town where we live, there are 60,000 people. So that's like wiping out the entire city in which we live. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a lot of people. So there is obviously a compelling state interest that we've got to, uh, the, the government's got to meet. So then the question is, is this law narrowly tailored to meet that interest? Now, the government could mandate, you know what, you're going to do Lord's Supper by placing the elements of the Lord's Supper in the individual seats, and you're going to do a baptism where the, the, the minister or the pastor is wearing a hazmat suit, uh, uh, or uh, you're going to set it up to where you're blocking off pews or chairs where everybody has to sit six feet apart. The government could probably mandate that kind of stuff, but then what they're doing is they're telling churches how to host their services, all right? And when the government does that, now you get into the Establishment Clause that says Congress will make no law regarding the establishment of religion. And so when you get into that kind of a circular argument there, it's, it's, it's not a circular argument logically, but when you get into that, well, you've got a problem with this, the, the uh, Establishment Clause, and but if you do that, if you don't do that, now you've got a problem with the Free Exercise Clause, but then that leads to a problem back with the state, and we just go around and around in circles. What that tells me is that law is about as narrowly tailored as it's going to get. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so the government has narrowly tailored a law. Don't meet with more than 10 people. Uh, and, and it meets a compelling state interest. And it is a, a law of general applicability. This applies to everybody. And so this is one of those situations, rather than fighting it, rather than going to court and filing lawsuits, what we really need to do is, is probably just go with it. And we need to adapt to the circumstances like many, many churches across the country are doing and uh, figure out how we're going to hold church in light of this this pandemic. Absolutely. And that's what I I think we do, you know, live in a, in a time right now where technology is is such a blessing. We have we have the ability to still meet. Um, and you think about the early church and what that looked like and the the coming together of the saints. And so it is one of those things where it's, it is a it is a different time that we're living in right now to where we still can be in communication like we are right now, right? We're in two different locations. We're still able to uh, to meet virtually. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of benefit for what's going on right now and the ability to still do this. You know, 30 years ago, this wouldn't be happening. Yeah, that's 100% right. Um, so point number two that we have is churches can do better than civil disobedience right now. You kind of hit on that a little bit, but uh, kind of dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, if the government can shut down a church, 
the question is, should we engage in civil disobedience and meet anyway? All right. And there are some churches who have, have answered that question in the yeah. affirmative. And they said, you know what? We're going to defy these orders. We're going to go ahead and we're going to continue uh, to meet. Uh, Peter, Peter Jones, he wrote an entry in the Dictionary of Scripture and Ethics, and he provides a really great framework from which we can analyze this when we're talking about the ethical uh, overtones of, of engaging in civil disobedience. When we talk about civil disobedience, just to kind of set the, the foundation here, what we're talking about is we know that there's a conflict between what God requires and what the state, the government requires. And when we have that conflict, the question is, who do we obey? And certainly, if we have a direct conflict where a, a government mandate prohibits what God requires, then there's the question of civil disobedience. That's a, that's a direct conflict, and we have to have to deal with that. And that's what we have here. We have God's requirement that the church habitually meet together, and then we've got a government mandate that says you can't meet right now. And so the question is, okay, now we've got that conflict. Uh, do we engage in civil disobedience, and what are uh, the ethical overtones of that? So. Uh, ultimately, here's what Jones says. He said, first, we've got to be diligent about the facts and the context. Okay, so if we just look at it and say, well, God says we have to meet together and the government says we don't, therefore we engage in civil disobedience, we're not really being diligent with the facts because there's a whole lot more uh, about our factual circumstances and the context in which we find ourselves that we need to consider before we engage in that civil disobedience. And so, you know, when you look at what churches are doing to comply with these bans or to voluntarily say we're not going to meet, they're doing small groups by Zooms and Google Hangouts. They're doing drive up worship services and drive up small group meetings. Uh, they are doing, uh, I've heard of people doing small baptism services. There's less than 10 people. They keep the social distancing. Uh, they, you know, when you look at at um, at the Old Testament and how this, the, the Septuagint, which the, the Greek Old Testament, used the word uh, baptizo, which is the to baptize, to immerse. Uh, that word was used when uh, somebody was told to go wash themselves seven times in the Jordan River. They immersed themselves in the Jordan River, and that provided that cleanliness. And we can kind of do the same thing. We don't have to actually have somebody put you in the water and raise you back up again necessarily. And so there are some churches who whose traditions will allow that, where they can people can technically baptize themselves publicly. Uh, and say, I'm dying to myself. I'm raised uh, out of this liquid grave to walk a new life with Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so there are many, many different ways in which we can continue to do things as the church, including our live streaming and, and small groups online. All of these things are ways in which we can continue being the church and doing the things the church does without having to physically be in the same room together. And so we got to consider those facts. The next things that Jones says is, listen, civil disobedience has to be a last resort. All right. Well, we know, first of all, that this has got a, a expiration date on it. This pandemic is going to go away. Late, latest report said we could be up and running again by early to mid-May. So I think that's a good thing. You know, so we've got that. Uh, we've got to consider the fact that we really haven't had an opportunity to litigate this. Okay. And and so until we disobey, um, and until we litigate this thing, we can't really say that we've reached our point of last resort. We haven't gone to a court and asked a court to rescind one of these bans. So we haven't reached that point of last resort yet. Another thing we've got to think about, according to Jones, is that the moral objections to these bans must outweigh the moral objection to disobedience. All right. And here's what I would say there right now. The world does not need dead Christians. 
The world does not need dead prayer warriors. We need live Christians and live prayer warriors. We need people to stay home. Okay. And so I think there's a good argument that, that, that the degradation of Christian influence in our society by people catching this disease and dying from it, that the, the morality of that does not uh, rise above just obeying what the government's telling us to do right now and not meet together. Mm -hmm. And then finally, if we disobey, we need to expect and we need to accept the punishment that goes along with that. All right. That's what made uh, Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King effective is that they went so far as to say, I'm disobeying and I know I'm going to be punished for it, but I'm going to accept it and I'm going to endure it because it's the right thing to do. So if you decide that you've reached that last that point of last resort, you decide that it is more immoral or more unethical to meet together than to obey the government here. Uh, and if we get to the point where we look at all the facts and say, yes, this is still something that we need to do, then you need to expect that there are going to be ramifications of that and you've got to accept those. And so really good framework ethically from to, to review this concept of civil disobedience in light of these, these bans. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, um, I think you hit on several, several good points there. I mean, especially with you know, what the world needs right now are, are Christians or prayer warriors or people out there who are helping those who are hurting, um, in obviously a safe, uh, social distancing way. Um, but also allowing God to kind of do what he does best, you know, uh, without having to, uh, feel like the church and our traditions and our everything are, that's what's moving the gospel forward. Like we're still planting the seeds. We're still, um, taking care of those. And I think that that's, that's vitally important to, uh, to, uh, obviously this pandemic right now. So, um, all right. And the third point here, churches are better in the pan churches who are better in the pandemic, uh, will be better after the pandemic. Yeah. You know, there's a, a 16th century proverb, says mater artrium necessitas, the mother of invention is necessity. And people have ascribed that to uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He didn't actually say it, I don't think. But the mother of invention is necessity. Your necessity is the mother of invention. You know, right now, public schools have really lagged behind uh, in terms of distance learning. They, they never really got into it because it was mandated public education. And so why do we need to get involved in distance education if we have to provide it for our, our kind of community? Um, well, you know, right now, necessity has really forced public schools to really rethink this idea of distance learning and how can we, how can we do that? Uh, and we're seeing the same thing in the church right now. Necessity has birthed a much better grasp of what is necessary to use technology in the church. And we've taken uh, a break from our technology in the law series that we were doing here on the podcast to address coronavirus, but this is really going to be a good transition eventually back into that topic because right now church leaders have bought into this notion, first of all, that the church's website is the front door to the church. And that's how people are going to find, they're not going to come to your church and open the door and say, Hey, can I speak to a pastor? Because your church should be closed. They're not going to walk in and sit in the back uh, of a service and watch that service to determine whether or not that's a church they're going to go to. The first thing they're going to do is go to your website. All right. And so now as we get ready to raise the bar, we've got to make sure that we're capturing people's information when they visit our website. Who, who is coming to our website? How can we contact you? How can we pray for you? There are ways that you can, can capture those people and capture those prospects for your church to go and do what the church does, make disciples. You can reach out to them with phone calls, reach out to them by emails, set up Zoom calls with them. Hey, is there anything we can be doing? How can we pray for you? 
those are all things that, uh, that can be done. Our live streams and our recordings of our services traditionally have not been of the greatest quality. Well, guess what? They are now. We're really ramping up. A lot of churches, at least, are ramping up this idea of how can we do a really high quality live stream of worship service so that we can still meet together either on Facebook or some sort of webinar platform or however your your church is doing it. Um, Our ability to capture that data when we're talking about who's coming to those live stream worship services, typically we're just looking at numbers. Hey, we had 460 hits or 463 second views of our website or whatever. Uh, You know, hey, all of our live stream, that's all great. But we need to be able to capture who is that person? How can I get that person's, you know, a guest connection card or, or a, a guest card? How can we register that attendance? And so all those things are really important. And we've got to continue improving the quality of what we do online. And this is really making that a necessity. Uh, so that's what I would encourage churches to do. Have a pop-up that captures a name, email address, and a phone number. Have uh, people, when they when they log into your website to watch your service, have them fill out an online guest connection card or guest information card so that you know who's there and how you can reach out to them, how you can pray for them. People are alone right now. And so the ability to just set something up like this, where a pastor can get onto a Zoom call or uh, where a pastor can call and say, hey, I want to pray for you real quick because I know you're, you're alone and you're uh, you're struggling with whatever you've lost your job, whatever the case may be. People are looking for connection right now and we're better to find that than the church. We just have to make sure we can do it online. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, especially in my world, I mean, you know, myself, I, I enjoy this. I enjoy the live streaming, enjoy the technology side of it. And, uh, it is vitally important right now. There are so many different tools out there to be able to connect with people. And I think talking about this is almost forcing the church, to get caught up with the times a little bit, you know, to where yeah. it is one of those things where you're now in the position that this is the only way that you can, that you can connect, um, you know, in a, in a safe way. And so uh, those people, they, they are, we, we've, even with our church, we've seen an uptick in, in just the view times and the, and, and looking at and doing our due diligence as good stewards of, of the technology that we have of making sure that we're providing that good content. And it's a great experience as well as a follow-up sequence. You know, some of our, our staff members and stuff at our church have been doing, you know, those things that you're talking about doing those follow-ups and how do we, how do we make sure to engage with you even after this, because there are a lot more eyes now out there looking for, for help and for healing and for hope. And uh, this is just a great platform to be able to do that. And, and so I, I think it's fantastic, but it, it also is, it is, you know, like I said, it's forcing the church to kind of move in that direction, uh, yeah. which is needed. I think there's, there's a little bit of a, of a God kind of push <laughs> saying, Hey, you can, you can, you feed my sheep in many different ways. That's been another episode of Law and Church, and all the resources we've talked about today will be in the show notes. Uh, You can get those show notes on the Church Law blog at thechurchlawgroup.com or on our podcast website at lawandchurch.com. And of course, the show notes will always be available in your favorite podcasting app. That's right. And go do us a favor. Please go subscribe and review to our podcast. Listen, our heart is for the local church, and there are church leaders who really need to hear this stuff. And your review and subscription of the podcast just makes it that much more likely. And Certainly, we're going to be talking about stuff next week uh, that you're going to want to hear as we go into more detail. So uh, your subscription is also going to help make sure that you have access to that. And so uh, go do that. And then also make sure to go join the Church Law Group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, search Law and Church, and you will find that group. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Yep, And we will uh, see you next week.